Production support comes from Smithville, a locally owned business serving central and southern Indiana since 1922 with residential and business internet, phone, and security services. Smithville, local pride, global technology. Information at smithville.net. Welcome to Noon Edition. I'm Bob Zaltzberg, editor of the Herald Times, along with Mary Catherine Carmichael from the Leadership Bloomington Monroe County uh, program. Today we're going to talk about where the MCCSC referendum money will be going. Earlier this week, the budget uh, or the, the committee that had been looking into this uh, made its recommendations to the school board on how to distribute the funds, and uh, it's made for quite a lot of discussion in the community. Joining us in the studio are the MCCSC controller, Tim Thrasher, and uh, MCCSC's Director of Elementary Education, Curriculum and Instruction, Cameron Raines, along with uh, a concerned citizen and Indiana University Germanic Studies instructor, Troy Byler. Byler? Yes. Okay. Want to pronounce that correctly? Uh, if you want to join the conversation, as I'm sure many of you will, please call us at 8- 855-0811 in Bloomington, outside of the Bloomington area, 877-285-9348. Or you can also go to our website, wfiu.org slash noon edition. Welcome to everybody. Thanks for being here. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I want to start with some general questions, but actually I do have a specific question for Tim because um, in, I think, our promotional material, we said how to distribute the $7.5 million the referendum will bring in each year. I don't think that number is exactly what is in the recommendations. Is that correct? Can you sort of tell us how much money you're dealing with sure. and where, how you arrived at that? In terms of the uh, recommendations, I think they total in the $6.4 million range. Mm-hmm. The actual cuts um, that were implemented back in February of 2010, uh, the number that is in a lot of people's minds is the $5.8 million. Mm-hmm. That's a net figure, though, and this is something we've tried very hard to explain, particularly during the last uh, three public meetings that we've had. But uh, uh, 5.8 is a net figure, and the, the actual amount of uh, programs and positions that were cut we're in the $6.7 million range. Uh, but in that, uh, we, were, we were anticipating or recommending cuts of $6.7 million, but part of that was offset by uh, the fact that we included increased expenditures of about $900,000 in anticipation of having to pay uh, unemployment compensation expense for a period of time. So if you added up all the all the cuts in the program, they came to 6.7. Uh, if you added up the unemployment compensation uh, lines in that presentation, uh, they came to about 900000 So subtracting the two, you end up with a $5.8 million figure. So uh, we've had a lot of questions about why the, why the gap between the 5.8 and the $7.5 million, and that's a large portion of the reason. Mm-hmm. We haven't recommended the restoration of, of the... Uh, uh, full seven and a half million dollars at this time in terms of expenditures. We have uh, uh, recommended, I think uh, I mentioned just a minute ago, about 6.4 or 6.5 million in program restorations. There are a number of reasons we haven't gone uh, quite as high as as uh, the seven and a half million dollars. Um, I should point out, though, that. In terms of levying for the $7.5 million, or more correctly, the 14.02 cents, which generates uh, approximately $7.5 million, in our projections, we uh, did uh, include that $7.5 million in each year. But the committee has taken a position that uh, we wouldn't make a recommendation specifically with any particular year as to whether the full $7.5 million would be levied in 2011 or 2012 or 2013, our projection went all the way out to 2016, and we used the full $7.5 million in the projection for the purposes of that. We haven't made a specific recommendation other than to say that we think the school board should take a look at the situation each year during the budgetary process once we have a lot more information about what our revenues for a particular year are going to look like. And use that money, or use that opportunity, the budgetary process, <clears throat> to determine whether we need to levy the full 14.02 cents or not. Mm-hmm. A lot depends. We don't know what's going to happen with state support, um, and 
now that the state has taken over funding for virtually 100% of the general fund, uh, that really controls everything in terms of what happens with state support. And just the general fund, uh, the school funding formula that the state approves represents about 95% of the funding. And what we did as a committee was to look at the at the referendum fund and the general fund as a combination. So that brought back local tax property taxes as a as a factor in the calculation. And so in order to see what happened over time um, in our long-term financial model, we uh, we plugged in $7.5 million each year. Mm-hmm. Um, Tim, just tell uh, – a lot of our uh, listeners may not be aware of the committee structure and how the – who was on the committee and how the committee sure. got uh, set up and then what your role is. Dr. Koopman uh, appointed the committee uh, – just immediately after the referendum was known to be successful on November 2nd, we began meeting almost right away, uh, I'd say within a week if I remember right. Uh, committees represented uh, by uh, central administrators, school board, and uh, community members. And uh, in terms of the central administration, there were, I think, seven, including myself, Cameron Raines, uh, Director of Elementary Education, Jan Bergeson, uh, Director of Secondary Education, Kathleen Hugo, Director of Special Education, uh, Deb Prankert, uh, Director of Grants Administration, and Mike Shear, Director of Extended Services, and myself. So hope that's seven. Mm-hmm. Um, then uh, Sue Wanza represented the school board, and our two community members were uh, Dan Peterson, who is a uh, uh, parent of MCCSC children and, and works for Cook Incorporated, vice president of Cook Incorporated. And Sarah Rogers, who's also a parent of MCCSC students and uh, is market president for First Financial Bank. Mm-hmm. So, Cameron, your your role was then you, you all came, you met several times and you came up with this 30-page document that right. is uh, recommendations and supporting documentation that you then presented to the school board, mm-hmm. correct? Correct. Mm-hmm. So what... Can you sort of give us a, a, a thumbnail? I mean, Tim's the numbers guy. He knows all the numbers. And, and of course, he's a policy guy, too. He understands policy. But uh, you and your role, can can you sort of summarize the main points of your recommendation? As far as my role specifically? Well, or what, what, the, what the committee wanted, wants to do. I mean, what when you look at this, sure. this large recommendation, I mean, what were the key things in it from, for the committee? Sure. I think uh, the most challenging task was to try to balance the reform piece and, uh, and the restore piece. And that's a trick because we have community members all across the board as as far as what they want to see in their schools. You know, there's a, a pretty big segment of the community that would like to see a whole lot of reform. And there are also several individuals and community members who, who would like to, to see just complete restoration as it was before. Um, so as a committee, we tried to weigh all of those options, think about the programming that we had in place before, uh, and and think about you know what what makes sense to to come back as it was, where can we make some tweaks and adjustments and and change programming a bit to make it better for kids and the whole focus was students. Uh, we didn't have any conversations uh, about adults and and what recommendations would mean for them. We were we were completely focused on on the kids and the students. Uh, so the the main portions of the programs recommended for uh, restoration. Class sizes, while we didn't recommend they, they come back to the, the previous levels, we did look at reductions, particularly in the, the primary grades where reading is, is so important and making sure that kids are, are reading well and, and at grade level. Uh, so we, we did optimize those class sizes. We also left some room in those teaching positions uh, t- to deal with what we call hot spots, and, and Mrs. Chambers can probably speak to that in a bit. But there are obviously several hot spots around the district this year where, where class size is a little larger than we would mm-hmm. like for it to be. So there's some room, there's some room for that. Uh, in total, 36 uh, classroom teaching positions were recommended for restoration of the, the 50 that were cut. Uh, we also recommended uh, the two assistant principals at the elementary schools uh, who were cut, those positions be brought back. Uh, we believe that that instructional leadership is absolutely imperative. 
uh, elementary programs. Right now we have six literacy coaches in our Title I schools who are funded through stimulus grant money, uh, Title I stimulus money in, in particular. That Those funds end uh, uh, this summer. So uh, we won't have that option going forward. So we recommended that, that those positions be rolled into this recommendation as well. Uh, so we had some special ed programming um, that we recommended as well. Uh, that is also funded through stimulus money uh, that will be ending, and we didn't want to lose those positions. Uh, middle school programs, I believe we lost three and a half uh, total FTE uh, last year, and we recommended restoring two of, of those. And, and Jan Bergeson, obviously, director of secondary ed, could speak to that better than, than I can. Uh, and then in the, the area of reform, the alternative programming in uh, the secondary schools, we, we had alternative programming before, uh, and we are bringing it back. So some people might view that as restoration, but we're bringing it back. We're recommending bringing it back in a different format, and there are several components to that, probably too lengthy to get into right now. <laughs> yeah, but it's, it, rest, it's not bringing Aurora back. It's, there's right. several different uh, – Right. There's a, it's a, I would call it a, a lot meatier plan, if you will. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there's a lot more to it, and, uh, and it's a lot more comprehensive in my mind than the Aurora model was. And uh, obviously, the bottom line there is we want results. We want graduation rates to be high in that program as well as all of our programs. Uh, we also did a lot with – preventionists, interventionists, those types of positions in reform. And the reason for that is our data is pretty clear that we have a need uh, to do something a little bit different. You know, we, if we restored things as they were before, we wouldn't have a lot of reason to believe that our results would get better. And we clearly have a lot of students who need for us to do better for them. We have about a third of our students in elementary grades reading below grade level, and uh, mm. that's just not acceptable. And so in, in these discussions, it was a, a good opportunity to look at uh, how we do business and, and think about how things could, could be tweaked or modified to, to achieve better results for our students. And that's the, the re- some of the basic reasoning and rationale behind those, mm-hmm. uh, those recommendations. The um, preventionists and interventionists, sure. I mean, those are, are terms that are probably not that common to no. our listeners. As I read through the plan, and, and you know, you can really um, clarify this for me and sure. all of our, our listeners, but it seemed to me that, that these people would help um, would, would help free up the classroom teachers to work with the kids that need them maybe the mm-hmm. most mm-hmm. while they take on a role of, of enrichment with some kids mm-hmm. and, and helping some kids in other ways. Is that, that, that That's pretty close to accurate. I think some of the confusion around this position stems from not understanding it's a different model. Um, I think when all of us went to school, typically we were with elementary school in particular, we were with our classroom teacher the whole, the whole time. Well, already in place uh, in every elementary building is an extended learning time for each grade level. It's not the same time uh, in each grade level. It varies. So kindergarten might, might start theirs at, at 9 o'clock. First grade might start theirs at 9.45. And it's kind of staggered throughout the day. During that time, uh, students have already received core instruction the first time. We've, we've done a common formative assessment across the grade level within our professional learning community structure, and the, the team developed that and has analyzed the results. And then they look at individual students' uh, areas of need, and they group them, not long-term, but, but very specifically for targeted instruction in that area that they're focusing on. And so uh, what happens right now is, here's a good example from one of our elementary schools. There are about 100 students and and four teachers. So when you do those groupings, you only have four folks (laughs) who are are helping with those groups. So that comes to an average of of 25, just like you have in in the classroom. Well, when you're providing intervention and enrichment, it doesn't make sense to leave those groups that big, especially during intervention time. The research would tell us you have to get that group size down. And in fact, ideal group size is four to five students for intervention. And so what we did is recommended that the preventionists float through each grade level during that extended learning time. That's their, their main responsibility is to be in every grade level each day to bring that group size down. Now, I think there was also some confusion that maybe those folks were just babysitting or, or you know, playing games, and, and that's certainly not the case. We have the model in place right now. Uh, I would encourage folks to go and take a look at it in the elementaries. Uh, what actually happened 
happens is that the team, the, the certified teachers, they make the plan as they're making the plan now for all of those students. The difference would be they would have some help in implementing that plan. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's the key point. And the recommendation of 45, uh, I think some people have, have considered that a large number. I would encourage people to remember that we have 14 elementary schools. And if we really want to do something with that group size, adding one or, or two people doesn't get us to where we need to be based on what the research says in intervention in particular. Mm-hmm. Okay. Is there a specific goal? Uh, you say about a third of our students yes. are reading below grade level now. What's the goal? I'm so glad you asked that question. Uh, the goal eventually is 100%. I mean, I'm not interested in being the person to pick which, which students are going to be the ones that we're leaving behind. Um, 100% will be the goal. The way we want to approach that, though, is, is to look at 5% benchmarks for the next four years. So each year, let's reduce that number. Uh, by 5% until we get close to the 90% range, and then let's have a conversation about what appropriate goals moving forward would be. I think to continue at 5% once you hit that 90% range is, is a tall order, but I certainly think we, can, we could achieve 5% a year for four years. Uh, so that's our, our short-term goal. Longer term, we want to be at 100%. I want to back up just a little bit, and Troy, you might want to join me in weighing in on this. Um, I was one of the hundreds of volunteers who uh, worked together to get the referendum passed and so proud of our community for for having done that but as that was happening the question was often asked okay well what's going to happen with this money and you know in the meetings that i attended it was restore 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 and so then to have this come down the path and it's really looking quite a bit different than restoration Um, especially you know i know aurora for is near and dear to my heart i don't have a horse in that race but it just i always thought that was a great model um so to see that that's not in fact going to be restored is a source of some concern for me and other folks who worked on the referendum so um and troy i don't know if you want to weigh in on this as well but um what's your response to people are saying hey this isn't what I worked for. Mm-hmm. I think, um, you know, it, it's difficult when you have hundreds of folks in a short period of time coming together and canvassing and, and, and doing all of that work in very short order. Um, it, it was difficult because of the timelines to really sit down. I know we could, there's no way we could have totally uh, fleshed out a plan in, in that timeline uh, as well as doing all the referendum work. But I know Dr. Koopman and and Mr. Thrasher and myself, when folks ask, we're constantly saying, hey, the focus is going to be on literacy. It's going to be on uh, on dropout prevention, keeping kids in school. It's going to be on uh, doing something with the class sizes, looking at class size ratio. And, of course, restoration is a part of that as well. And, you know, looking at the list uh, that that the committee came up with, there certainly are some things left off the restoration list, but there are awful there are an awful lot of positions that are just flat restoration. So, you know, I hear that concern, but uh, I'm also constantly looking at our data and looking at how we're doing. And, and there are some times we need to do better. Uh, Aurora, in particular, I was never comfortable with that graduation rate. You know, being at thirty percent and some years below, uh, I know we can do better. And so, when when we're going to the drawing board and talking about how to do better. That's how some of this other programming came into play. And I think, uh, you know, Mr. Holloway would be a great person to speak with, as well as our director of secondary education. But I think what's been proposed isn't going to be less than what we had with Aurora. I believe it'll be more and better for our students. Mm-hmm. Troy, your, your uh, area of expertise is uh, you're, you're feeling that maybe the, the languages are not getting what? You hoped. Correct. And that's uh, first, I want to thank uh, Dan Goldblatt, the producer of the show, for inviting me here today. And I would also be remiss if I forgot to thank uh, my colleague, uh, Nicole Longyar, who is subbing for me right now (laughs) in one of my German courses, so I could be here as well. Um, uh, The the petition, um, which the listeners probably will not know about, and I can read that here in a second, uh, written by another one of my colleagues, um, Ben Robinson. Um, was written in response to uh, the, the budgetary committee not necessarily restore, not even restoring to the pre-existing uh, conditions the uh, language um, world language positions, as particularly in in Jackson Creek, um, and. And in a second here, I'm going to read uh, the the uh, petition that we had. And, and as of today, there were 761 people who have signed signed that petition online on uh, www.change.org. Um, 
But before I get into that, I, just, I want to make sure that people understand that world language should not necessarily be looked as um, in, in competition with overall uh, English literacy. Uh, many studies have shown that um, learning a, a second a second language, and the earlier you learn a second language, um, the better that you learn your own language, uh, whether that be through application or grammar or that type of things. And additionally, um, people uh, people don't understand that world languages is more than just more than just learning grammar. It's, it's, it opens up a whole new world. It opens up it, it, what makes learning interesting to students. Uh, we, we, need to, we need to fight to combat this kind of apathy that we get with students going through a, a system that uh, is based on scantrons, making sure you make, meet the minimum requirement. Um, and that's where all the time is spent. And, and sadly, we have a structure that's set uh, through the state and federal government that you get rewarded by making these minimum standards. Um, and uh, we need to we need to give our students um, uh, materials and courses and, and that that are intriguing to them that open up the world to them that that offer them new perspectives and uh, language does that in the sense that it also offers up new cultures uh, and if you if you bear with me I'm going to read the petition um, that was signed uh, quote. Learning a foreign language not only equips a child to thrive in today's globalizing world, but sparks insight and creativity, enriching a child's mental life and cultivating hearing, speaking, thinking abilities. Children's minds are uniquely built to learn languages, a process that becomes more challenging as a child grows older. We call upon you, the Monroe County Community School Corporation and the principals of MCCSC, middle schools, to use our referendum funding to fully restore cut world language programs to our middle schools at both the 7th and 8th grade levels. Our kids deserve to have the doors to a world of diverse cultures and opportunities open for them at a moment when it makes the biggest difference in their lives. Languages belong among the core competencies of children growing up in a plural world that increasingly prizes intercultural skills and the breadth of imagination that springs from them. And as I see, though, I think, I think with this referendum, referendum money, you're not going to be able to satisfy everybody's uh, wants and wishes. Uh, but I think that with it right now that the MCCSC has an opportunity, uh, really an opportunity to do something innovative, not just, not just restore. Um, and I would... Uh, challenge both uh, Cameron Raines and, uh, and Jan Bergenson to even think ahead uh, about the possibility of incorporating languages at e- elementary level. Uh, studies have shown, and I have things here that I don't want to bore people with, but studies have shown uh, that the earlier you start with, other, with foreign languages, the, the better overall literacy mm-hmm. is. Mm-hmm. So um, I, I think with a petition, we would be, and, and I'm very happy to hear that they're they're trying to put an eighth grade uh, Spanish in all three of the uh, junior highs because language should not necessarily just be an elective. Language should be open to everybody. Uh, it should not be looked on as as only something for honors. Uh, if you look at everybody else, everybody else in the world. With their respect to languages, for instance, German starts English at the first grade, and people are, are why why are the United States kids so far behind? Well, we we you know the mantra has been for a decade and a half we want to prepare our students for the global world, but the action's not there. We, we want to stop. We want to stop this. You know, uh, a disconnect between uh, act locally. You know, think globally, act locally. Well, what we're, what's happening is we're thinking globally. We're not acting locally. Mm-hmm. And now I think that we, we actually have a chance um, with, with this money. And we're not talking about uh, – we're talking about, uh, what, three, four, five positions um, to, to give not only the students at these levels one world language. It's, it's great. If that's all we can afford – Wonderful. But it would be, it'd be great if I was in a position of that student coming in and saying, oh, I have a choice. I could do French or Spanish. Um, I could do German uh, or Spanish or French uh, at, a, at a younger level. And another issue is that if we continue to look at world language as an elective, um, these things are going to continue to get cut. Uh, it's in competition with other electives. So we also need to move. And that's not just for the MCSC. That's, it's for us as a society in Indiana um, to move this idea of, of 
world languages as something on the side. We're not going to be able to attain these goals. I want to give Cameron an opportunity to respond about you know, the recommendations, um, and, and then we're going to have to take a break, and he's going to have to go meet with some teachers. Yeah. So. <laughs> um, I, I guess in response to the, the world languages at the elementary level, I would love to tackle that. Um, it, it's an absolute dream of mine. Uh, however, we're kind of performing triage right now in terms of this literacy crisis. Uh, first, we have to make sure kids are, are reading and reading well. It, it's not a gateway skill. It's the gateway skill. If we can't guarantee that by about third grade, the research is pretty clear that you know we're, we're not going to have good outcomes as students move up through the grades into high school well, Cameron, uh, and could into you, the community. Could you start, I mean, could you start uh, world languages? Heaven forbid, at the first grade level, it could be introductory courses. Because once students, once you have, if you just have your own mm-hmm. mother tongue that you're living with, you don't, you can't observe what's going on with the language as mm-hmm. clearly as in when you, when you have something else. When you have um, Sesame Street giving you these mm-hmm. inputs from from Spanish or, or French, uh, students then the, the young students then start thinking about what is language. Right. Um, so that's why it's crucial to, to get these things in early on. And it does – studies have done, shown that it does improve overall literacy mm-hmm. in, the, in, the, in the, your mother Cor- tongue. Correct. However, what I'm speaking to is teaching kids to read, not increasing literacy through, through you know, immersion in, in different languages. I know that's important and I know it works as well. And I think it can be a component. And, yes, we could do it, but it would mean we have to cut significantly – to the, the other portions of the list. And so that was the, the difficulty with the committee is, is trying to come to that middle ground between reform and, and restoration. And it's, it was hard. There was a lot of compromise and a lot of great uh, discussion and, and debate. Uh, but I, I feel like where we came down was somewhere in the middle. And I think certainly we could have looked at that and, and in most people's mind, that would have been significant reform, mm-hmm. um, and it, it would be a possibility. But the bottom line is something else has to come off the list if we do that. And with 14 elementaries, uh, the challenge of, of, of doing that means significant staff resources, mm-hmm. uh, simply because even, even if you're sharing buildings with somebody who, who is going to provide that instruction, there's a lot of travel time, and, and we're spread out pretty, pretty far geographically. But it's certainly something I'm interested in and, and want to investigate and, and not saying that I disagree with. Um, it just wasn't possible in the committee's view, and we didn't debate that specific point because I think we knew some of our, our budget parameters were, were pretty tight. And, you know, while we did win a referendum, we're, we're not all of a sudden strapped with cash. Uh, so so it, it, was a, it was a difficult kind of tightrope walk th- through the committee and, and certainly something we'll be interested in looking at. And I think we could do things without um, additional funding as well. So I'm certainly interested in, in looking into those options. We're going to have to take a break and get Cameron Rains out of here. He's got to go meet with some teachers. <laughs> Thank you. We're talking with uh, Tim Thrasher and Cameron Rains from the MCCSC and also Troy Byler, who's an Indiana University Germanic Studies instructor and uh, concerned about langu- world languages in the schools. Talking about the referendum today and uh, ref- how we're going to spend that referendum money. You're listening to Noon Edition. We'll be right back. This is Noon Edition on WFIU. Production support comes from Smithville. Information at smithville.net. You can take WFIU programs with you by downloading our podcast directly to your computer, iPod, or portable player. Programs like Noon Edition, Ask the Mayor, and Harmonia, or short features like Kinsey Confidential, The Ether Game, Musical Mini Quiz, as well as Play and Opera Reviews are all available on demand. Find out more at WFIU.org. And have you heard WFIU's news features? On Fridays, the WFIU News Team brings you expanded and in-depth reports on topics affecting South Central Indiana. Listen at 11.33 a.m., 11.55 a.m., and 5.45 p.m. to catch that day's feature. They're also archived on our website, WFIU.org. Welcome back. Welcome back to Noon Edition. I'm Bob Zaltzberg, editor of the Herald Times, along with Mary Catherine Carmichael from the Leadership Bloomington Monroe County program. Today we're talking about uh, MCCSC referendum money and where it's going to go, at least the recommendations that are on the table right now. Joining us in the studio are MCCSC controller Tim Thrasher. 
We've uh, just lost uh, Cameron Reigns, education <laughs> curriculum, uh, the director of elementary away. education curriculum and instruction. He had uh, previous commitment. But we have now been joined by Peggy Chambers, assistant superintendent for human resources and personnel, and also a member of the committee. Thank you. Tim left out. But. Former principal of Bachelor Middle <laughs> right. School That's for right. many years. I'm very proud of that. If and there's one person you don't want to leave off, it's the assistant superintendent for human resources. <laughs> yeah. And also uh, with us in the studio is Troy Byler, who's a uh, concerned citizen about uh, what the uh, recommendations do to world languages. And also he's an Indiana University Germanic Studies instructor. If you want to join the program, if you have co- comments about the recommendations, call us at 855-0811 or 1-877-285-9348. And also uh, WFIU.org slash Noon Edition is the website. If you want to go there, you can ask questions there as well. There are uh, – we haven't mentioned one of the three R's, Tim, and I want to give you the opportunity to do that because the uh, committee talked about three R's. We've talked a lot about restore. We've talked about reform. The other one is replenish. What's the importance of that? Okay. Well, it refers to our operating balance. And uh, you may well recall that uh, back in February, um, after the cuts that we received and our projections uh, that we we put in place that time, we were projecting our operating balance, which is basically our unobligated cash balance, at the end of 2010 would fall to about a half million dollars. Normally, we... Uh, uh, strive to have that uh, be in the uh, 8 to 10 percent of annual expenditures range. So, And what's that money sitting there for? Well, it can be there for a number of reasons. Um, for one thing, uh, it's a great help if, if we have the same thing happen in uh, future years that happened in uh, uh, December of 2009, where we received an announcement that we'd be cut by three, almost $3 million. If you have an operating balance on hand, it gives you more time to adjust to that. We had an operating balance of uh, just about $2.9 million at the end of 2009. And um, uh, in the final analysis in 2010, it, it declined to about a million two, which was better than we thought it might be when we did the, the projections in February. But there were some very good reasons that, that it was better. One was that... Uh, we were able to go forward with the retirement incentive that uh, when we were projecting in February, we didn't know for sure whether it was going to go or not uh, because there were a minimum number of retirements required in order for it to go forward. And so uh, we talked in February about the fact that uh, we we tend to be pretty uh, pessimistic in these projections. Uh, we we are conservative with our, our uh, revenue estimates. We try not to be overly optimistic. And uh, and uh, we aren't uh, uh, we're conservative also with our with our expenditure estimates. So there were a number of things that happened that that helped us with our operating balance. Um, again, the uh, the retirement incentive program. Also in that projection, we had the nine hundred thousand dollars in unemployment compensation expense that we had anticipated being in there, and um, so. It turned out that when the retirement incentive went forward, we realized savings by uh, being able to uh, replace some of the teachers uh, mm-hmm. that the retired with teachers who were less expensive. That had the double benefit of providing them with jobs and uh, keeping our uh, unemployment compensation expense substantially lower than we anticipated. So that's the reason that uh, a substantial portion of the reason that uh, our operating balance wasn't at the half million level, but ended up at a million two. That's, and what would you like for it to be? We'd like for it to be between eight and ten percent of which annual is, expenditures. And which, for this, kind of the, roughly, how, yeah. much, how much would that uh, be? In the you know five to six million dollar okay. range would be uh, minimal. And we're looking at the general fund and the uh, referendum fund as a combination mm-hmm. now. So the combination of those two expenditures. Okay. Um, so. Uh, we're fortunate that the operating balance will increase substantially in 2011 based on the recommendations. And we looked at a financial model that went out to 2016. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so what happens in 2011 is that many of our recommendations won't be implemented until the fall of 2011 because it doesn't make good educational sense to break up students from their classrooms and disperse them to new classrooms and new teachers midway through the year. So um, – 
we realize a period of time there where our operating balance just grows naturally. Also, we've got the educa- education jobs fund monies that we're receiving in 2011 that's almost $2 million. We've had donations, uh, thankfully, from uh, the foundation of Monroe County Community Schools. Of uh, It'll be $750,000 to help restore ECA stipends in 2011. But as we move forward to 2012, a lot of that that's no longer there. The uh, education job funds money are no longer there. Foundation MCCSC donations for the ECA stipends will no longer be there. So our projection shows that in 2012 we're at roughly a balanced budget, and that was our goal, to balance the budget in 2012. Mm-hmm. But the problem is that going forward uh, we're projecting state revenues remaining flat. We really don't have any basis for – uh, assuming an increase at this point in time, especially based on recent events in the state legislature and notif- recent notification from the Department of Education that although we've been told that our funding was going to remain stable in 2011 as compared to 2010, it's actually going to decline by $170,000. Um, so there's no reason in the in the even midterm to expect that that's going to go up, but we do have expenses going up, and the assumptions that we talked about in our in our recommendations was that there would be an inflation rate of one to two percent uh, during the the time period that we were observing. And so, what happens when revenues remain flat and expenditures go up is the the operating balance comes down. Mm-hmm. We didn't build anything in for. Um, salary increases because we had no basis for it, no authority for making recommendations because that's that's handled through the collective bargaining process and the school board. And uh, so we just made the statement that we're not, recomm- we're not making the recommendation that there be no raises. We're just taking a neutral position on it. And again, just as we suggested with regard to the $7.5 million uh, uh, referendum dollars, we're saying that the school board needs to take a look at salary increases a year at the time when we know what our revenues look like um, and make decisions based on the best information we've got available at that time rather than making recommendations right now. Mm-hmm. We have a couple of phone calls. Let's right. go to the phones and see what uh, Della wants to ask us. Della? I'm one of the many people in the county who voted for the referendum but does not have children in school. Thanks, Della. Uh, Thank you. I am uh, really very disappointed at the lack of support for language instruction. I, I really do wish that this could be revisited and to, to uh, have it represented as a compromise when, when 50 years ago in rural Georgia, I got middle school instruction in French that changed my life, uh, is, is just so very, very retrogressive and so very damaging to the potential for students in this county. Yes, uh, Stella, um, uh, I too do not have uh, children in in the county, and I uh, too uh, said, voted yes for the referendum. Um, And just think, it's it's a unique position to be in because we have money available now, and we need to spend it correctly um compared to just think about all those people uh all those poor individuals who had referendums and it did not pass Uh, this could be a very gloomy uh, interview right now because we'd be talking about further cuts um to the system uh we we are fortunate our, our our students in the county are fortunate that we passed this money uh i truly believe that and um I would also like you to uh, would would want to have languages, world languages, uh, emphasized more within our own community. Uh, but this again, this gets back to a a, a system that uh, the mantra has been: let's get our students learning languages. But the funding has has not been there; has not been consistent. Um, and we have a chance. We have a chance now. MCCSC has a chance uh, to you know, put the money put the money there and to grow and be innovative and, and bring back uh, these, these uh, proven uh, standards. Th- these, th- these are courses that uh, have standards. We have Indiana Department of Education has standards. Uh, we don't need to be, we don't need to, to try a new model. 
We already have uh, rubrics. We have established materials. Mm-hmm. There's nnell.org, which is a is, is early language, um, a national early language organization that gives materials, that gives resources for teachers at the elementary, at the junior high level. And I too, I too, very much think that it's beneficial to our students uh, to give them these opportunities. Okay, okay we're going to go to uh, another phone call, I think on the same topic. Ben Robinson is on the phone. So, Ben? Hi, yeah, hi yes, I'm Ben Robinson, and, and uh, I've got, got one kid in the MCCSC system and, and two more on the way. Um, I want to start my comment with, with just a few quotes from this morning's HT, if I can. It's a question, but it starts with a comment. And, and the quote was, Tim, this morning, you said... Uh, we don't have money to do everything that everyone wants us to do, and that's that's reasonable enough. Um, and Gail Hill, principal at the at New Tech, implied that the community members were asking for Cadillac educations for their kids. Um, and, and with that with that in mind, that that there's Cadillac, and then there are the things that we have to do. I want to go back to the beginning of the referendum process in June and quote quote Dr. Koopman from, from his letter on June 29th, where he says, quote, the message is clear that the public and school community, that was a clear message, the message is clear that the public and school community want to restore what was lost in the expenditure, expenditure reductions last February. And he went on, quote again, the following expenditure reductions were enacted in February and could be restored with a successful referendum, restore foreign language programs, end quote. That was among a list of things. Now, I know that many of us have tried to communicate to the Budget Committee, whether last, on Wednesday or last night or through letters and calls, um, and, and tried to communicate to principals and the board that we don't feel foreign languages are an extra, but that they go to the heart of what the community wants to offer our children, as Troy has really um, brilliantly brought out. So it seems we want to see a curriculum in place and open to reform, sure. It's not, a, it's not just we want to stick by what's old and tested, but we want to see a curriculum in place that sparks our kids' minds by showing them a world in a way that their minds are biologically, uniquely capable of experiencing. We want to show them a world that they can experience through new languages. So my question to, to, to all the guests is, is, is first really simple. Do you think foreign language education is, quote, Cadillac? That's the first part of the question. And if you don't feel foreign language is Cadillac, and, and it's too bad Cameron isn't here because because he it would be interesting, especially to hear what he says in that. But everyone I'm interested in. If it's not Cadillac, can you give me a sense of of where you see it fitting into the curriculum? Do you do you see it? You know, if you can't afford it in elementary, can we not afford it in middle school? Can we not afford it in high school? So those are the two parts. Is it Cadillac? And then the second part is, if not, where does it fit? Okay, Peggy, you wanna. Well, I, I would hesitate to speak for Dr. Hill, but um, I can speak from my experiences as a middle school principal and tell you that, um, that I and my colleagues certainly value the importance of uh, world language instruction. And it was something that uh, we were very proud that we could offer our students. One thing that I think it's important for the community to understand is that at the middle school level, Students take seven classes each day, and of the required classes, it fills up the biggest portion of the day. Uh, at um, Tri-North, it uh, allows a student one period a day for an elective, bachelor one and a half, and Jackson Creek two. The reason for the uh, discrepancy goes back uh, quite a bit of time because originally uh, Tri-North and Bachelor were the only two middle schools, and the teachers there developed a wonderful writing and reading program, and that's been in place for several years, and it's something that the teachers feel is very important, that extra class that they take in addition to language arts. So that was one of the reasons that uh, the second elective wasn't available to them. So when you have one elective and you have 12-year-olds choosing what they want to take, they're shown foreign language, world language, and how much uh, excitement that can be and how important it is. They also uh, witness the band performing, the choir singing, the art classes, and then they're forced to make a choice. 
with the world language, when those sixth graders would make that choice for seventh grade, they might sign up for Spanish or for French. And after one year, they would look around. I always remember at Bachelor Middle School, they would look around at uh, video productions and Jeff Rudkin's program and say, oh, gee, I, I really like my class, but I think next year I want to be in, for, in uh, video productions. Well, the problem that that created in staffing is that when we started out with maybe 60 students in a world language class, by the second year, it might jump and and actually be as few as 15. We tried to honor that commitment for that two-year program, and I can remember French classes that had eight or nine. So when we talk about optimizing class size, that's one of the things that we're talking about because if you have a ratio of 1 to 30, then you end up making that up someplace else. Mm. Um, As it turned out last year, when we were looking at world language, um, and I'm speaking without my numbers here, but as I recall, at Tri-North, two periods a day were devoted to Spanish, and that was based on class selection. At Bachelor, I think we had uh, three classes a day. The World Language Program was more popular at Jackson Creek, and again, they had two periods a day allowed for their electives so they could do that. Our position in human resources is that when we do staffing, we do our staffing based on course selections, and if we had a hundred students who would sign up for Spanish, then we would staff appropriately. We would staff on that ratio. Peggy, thank you very much for explaining that. And we need to have a short answer because we've got yes. several other callers. Um, that are coming. Just, just quickly, that's that's where we need to reevaluate the system because if if the system always is equating world languages with electives, that's the problem. Um, what we need to do is restructure, and this might go into the extending the day. Um, allowing for more periods, uh, take take the uh, world languages off this this equation of a being a little elective. Uh, the students should be given a choice of what language to take, but it should be given. Then you wouldn't have this problem with staffing. Okay, we're gonna we're gonna have to go to Jane, who's been very patient, waiting for about fifteen minutes. So Jane, hi there. Hi. I talk about world languages as well, and uh, I thank uh, everyone involved in this dialogue, both the people there in the studio and those who are calling in. And what I I would like to say is that um, something that has made MCC special in terms of the middle school experience has been the the ability to have the modern language instruction. And I I think MCCSC has to realize that people are going to have, they already have more choices in terms of where their kids are going. And, and I think that those choices are going to continue. And I think it's really, you know, not good marketing <laughs> to be pulling something like world languages. Uh, the next thing I want to say is I did attend last night uh, one of the sessions. I didn't speak, but I got the chance to talk to Jan Bergeson um, afterwards. And she explained to me some of the things that um, Ms. Chambers is now saying about um, the differences in the middle schools between the options for electives. And I listened carefully to what she said. And so I understand that at Tri-North and at Bachelor, there's a special reading and writing program that students take. And I know from my own experience as a person who studied foreign language, from looking around in the world, from seeing the experience of one of my children who's already gone through middle school, how very, very important studying Spanish has been to her in developing her reading and writing abilities. So I suggest that kids possibly in those two schools have the ability to choose between the special reading and writing program or something that in world languages with an excellent teacher will provide a very similar um, uh, degree of knowledge in reading and writing and many other things as well. Thank you. Thank you. I I think that's an excellent suggestion. And um, one of the things that the committee did is uh, really rely on our building leaders and and their own school improvement committees to give us the suggestions of what they thought would be appropriate. 
and uh, I'm, I'm sure that they're listening to the debate as well and are considering all the ideas that the community is presenting. So we thank you. You know, I'm, I'm not clear about what's exactly happened with the world languages. What's the recommendation? What, what's, what's it going from to in terms of the recommendations? I mean, how many, how many teachers, how many students might actually And be languages affected? are different too. Right. Yes. Uh, originally, uh, when the world languages were in the middle schools, uh, the schools were trying to offer uh, two years of French and Spanish as well as accelerated programs. And when you go back and look at the size of the schools, there really weren't enough students to support all of those classes. And I appreciate what you said about an elective as a world language, but um, they really couldn't support it. And so eventually then it became French and Spanish, one and two. Um, that continued to be popular at Jackson Creek, not so much at Tri-North and Bachelor, you know, different groups of students and uh, different interests. Again, video productions had an impact on what what happened there. So the recommendation, to answer your question, was that uh, to try to uh, offer the same opportunities at all three schools, it would become uh, an option of Spanish at the eighth grade level. And there are discussions about how to create a very rigorous course that would also allow those students to earn high school credit so that they could go on then in the sophomore year. Mm-hmm. Okay. We have uh, Margaret, who's been waiting for quite some time, too. Margaret? Yes, thank you very much. Um, I'm grateful to have this chance to address, again, the issue of world languages. Um, Something that was raised by Jan Bergeson at the university elementary meeting the other evening, and that also came up at Summit, and that I understand, Ms. Chambers, you've you've just alluded to, has to do with um, losing enrollments for the second year of, for instance, uh, French. And um, I'm concerned that the reasons for this are not being looked at uh, very carefully. Um, I know, for example, that uh, there were some issues with the delivery of French instruction at Tri-North at a specific time. And I know about this because I am on the French faculty at IU, and I can't tell you how many inquiries I got from dissatisfied parents desperate to find alternatives for, let's say, a problematic pedagogical situation. And, um, Ms. Chambers, when you say that, uh, you know, uh, you're, you're losing enrollments in languages to things like uh, video um, creation, uh, could I ask you point blank? Have you had any uh, discussions with parents or students about any issues in the delivery of uh, world language instruction? Uh, again, I can speak uh, from my experiences as a middle school principal. And um, at Bachelor, most of the discussions really centered around video productions because it was such a popular class. I really uh, did not have um, conversations with parents about the quality of instruction. So I'm interested, very interested in what you're sharing today. Yes, it's, um, it, it, it comes up all the time, as I say, because, uh, because of our own scheduling here at IU. Um, it, it, well, our own scheduling makes it very difficult to dovetail with uh, high schoolers and, and middle schoolers. And as I say, I uh, repeatedly get requests uh, from parents. Um, and, and again, what concerns me is the reasoning uh, that, that seems to be going on. Uh, such that a specific and isolated uh, situation, which is perceived as problematic, be used to justify uh, a sweeping, um, let's say, reform. And the analogy that comes to mind is uh, tantamount to saying, uh, it's snowing today, so we need to close school. Therefore, we need to close school for the winter. Um, Margaret, I'm going to cut you off here because I think you're, you're kind of making an assumption here that I don't think is really in evidence. I'm not a lawyer, but I don't think Peggy – I mean you're saying, you're saying that 
they've made a decision for one reason, and I don't. I think she's saying there are a lot of other reasons involved. Am I, Peggy? Am I? Uh, yes. <laughs> I, think I, I understand there are other reasons, but again, what concerns me is that Jan Bergeson alluded to the situation at Trinorth, the problematic situation of enrollments. I hear that it was also mentioned last night at Summit, and Ms. Chambers has just mentioned it uh, just now, the business of not enough enrollments in the second and, and year. Ma- Margaret, I, I want to cut in here. Margaret, you, you could see that this is, this is a, a direct result of of other courses being in competition with language. Mm-hmm. When you have video production and you're, you're a seventh grader, video production or Spanish, what the hell are you supposed to do? You're going to do video production. We, we need to step in as, as, as adults, uh, as, as in positions to say, world language cannot no longer be an elective, cannot be on that same battleground with these other things. This is where, this is, that's the province with the system. That's what needs to be, uh, needs to be uh, reevaluated is how do we present world languages if we really want to be uh, giving our students uh, the equal opportunities the rest of the world are having we have to stop pussyfooting around with world languages and saying okay Tommy you can either take video production or you could take Spanish it, just, it doesn't make any sense let me uh, go to Joyce who is our last caller and then we'll give the panelists one more round of, uh, of uh, comments but uh, Joyce go ahead Yes, thank you. I would just like to clarify something because I see people talking all around an issue and not really getting to the point. Um, in the very recent past, I can speak for Tri-North only, but in the very recent past, Tri-North offered 7th and 8th grade French and Spanish. There were um, situations that were set up so that kids did not have to take the Tri-North Reading Writing Program, certainly for the kids in the GT program, Gifted Talented, they could take two electives, and they opted out of the um, Reading Writing Program so that those students had a chance to take both language and music at the same time. Um, Now, obviously, if you're not making that option available to all the students at Tri-North, it's going to also have an effect on your enrollment because you're setting up your so-called electives from a smaller pool. So um, I would like to support people who are arguing that if students school-wide had the option for both Spanish and French, or even more languages, or started it, you know, first grade, which is what they do in Europe, um, I think they would see very different numbers in the classes, and I do think sometimes a change of teacher is um, a helpful thing because as it was set up, the 7th and 8th grade teacher was also the only teacher for ninth through 12th grade. So you had a situation where a student who is in a classroom would have the same teacher for six years. And if you have any kind of personality conflict or any sort of issue with a teacher, six years with one teacher in a public school system is a long time. Okay, thank you for your comments, Joyce. And that was not the case with Spanish. There are many we're, different Spanish teachers. We're going to, we, we've actually gone a little long, and we're going to be here for about three more minutes because I'm going to give each one of these, uh, our panelists, another minute to uh, sort of you know, clarify or summarize. And uh, since we've been talking about the world languages for quite a bit, Troy, I'm going to let you start. And then, Tim and Peggy, you can address any of these issues, any of these issues that you want from your positions on the committee. Um, I would just like to, again, reiterate that I think the MCCSC has, has an opportunity now um, to really look at what, what role world languages should play um, within the system. Um, and I, I know that we, we don't have an unendless amount of money, but we also need to recognize uh, where we want our students to be in, in this world. Uh, if we want to continue to have world languages looked on the same as, as other electives, we're not going to attain that. So we, we, need, to, we need to really look and, and, and adjust our, our system mm-hmm. and how it works. Okay. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Tim, any last comments? I don't necessarily have a comment on any of the issues. Um, certainly, uh, if people have more questions, I'd be glad to uh, have them email me or, or call me. I would like uh, – I, I don't want to leave this conversation without saying – how much I appreciate the fact that the referendum was passed. Um, and um, so I, I just want to say thank you to the community that passed it. 
I also want to express appreciation for all the comments uh, both today and uh, the two public input sessions that we've had and reassure people that uh, the school board uh, is listening, paying attention, and will give uh, uh, give their comments full consideration. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Peggy, you get the last minute. Well, I wish Tim had had the last minute oh. because that, that was exactly what I planned to say. <laughs> but, but we do. We, we, we really appreciate this community not only for supporting the referendum but also for all the input that they give. We do listen. We do care because all of us are here because of the students. And whatever it is that is best for our students, whether it be mandatory world language or whether it be video productions or our strings program, we want that for our children. So I really appreciate the input and thank you all. All right. Well, thank you, uh, Tim Thrasher and Peggy Chambers and Troy Byler for all being here with us and all of you folks who called in, particularly all of you who called in about world languages. Thanks. It was a good conversation. For Mary Catherine Carmichael, producer Dan Goldblatt and engineer Mike Pashkash, I'm Bob Salzberg. Thanks for listening. Noon Edition is a production of WFIU and the Herald Times. A podcast of this and other WFIU programs is available at WFIU.org. Production support comes from Smithville, a locally owned business serving central and southern Indiana since 1922 with residential and business internet, voice, and security services. Smithville, local pride, global technology. Information at smithville.net.